0: So after I submitted the book and I realized that I'm basically starting from scratch, I actually contacted the publisher and pulled it back and said, I actually need to start from scratch, but actually write the book while not reverse engineering the process, but actually doing it alongside the book. Hi, you're listening to Looks Like Work.
1: I'm your host, Kedva McLeanler, and yeah, it's the least pronounceable name you've ever heard but you'll get used to it. I'm a serial entrepreneur who's obsessed with curiosity, creativity, and grit, and that's just to get started. I really can't get enough of learning more about people's career choices. What fulfills them? How do they deal with burnout, with heartbreak? How do they protect their boundaries? And is it all even working? Those are questions that keep me up at night, and I hope to explore here. On this podcast, we'll have deep conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, people juggling a few jobs, sometimes even a few industries, sharing what looks like work for them. With that, on to the episode. I really hope you'll enjoy it. Awesome. Awesome. Ben Benarif, co-founder of Dragons Can Fly and author of the very exciting upcoming book, Starting From Scratch. Thank you so much for joining me
0: at Looks Like Work, joining us at Looks Like Work. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to, to be part of this amazing, amazing project. I heard several episodes of Looks Like Work and I'm excited to be part
1: of oh, it. Oh, thank you so much. That's so nice of you to say. I really appreciate that. Awesome. So our listeners don't know, but we had kind of a prep call yesterday, and I am super excited for this conversation. We have kind of known about each other for a while now. We have a lot of friends, acquaintances, colleagues in common, but we never really met or even spoke until this week, right? Yeah. So for sure. everyone who hasn't been kind of fascinatedly following you on LinkedIn, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, how the two of these two things differ?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just say, so for the past 20 plus years, I've been in product management, working in various tech companies, both uh, startups and big companies. Uh, corporates. I moved to New York as part of my job. And I've been doing this for many, many years as part of being in tech world. I've gone through many reorgs and the book kind of was something that was cooking for so many years, probably like two, like looking back at probably like two years before I wrote the first word, it was in my wow. head. And then, yeah. And then once I started, um, writing about it. It was more about my experience. It started with my experience around organizational changes and how you can survive those or how you can make the good out of a lot of what's going on, both in the organization and within yourself. And so I started writing the book. And after I submitted the last word of what uh, took me a little over a year of writing, then my boss resigned. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, leading to me starting from scratch again, and then actually starting this agency that I've decided to start. It was kind of like, I would like to say that I pretty much joined late to the Web3 world. It's been going on for about a year. And then I decided this is what I want to focus on. So I went into this intense learning stage, partner with someone that I've been knowing for many years. I call it she's the yin to my yang. I love um, that and we and we started this agency together. So I am in this starting from scratch situation where you know I'm really really excited about projects that we're working under the agency. I've submitted the last word to my book. And I'm meeting interesting people because of it. So, That's amazing. Um, good-
1: I love that, and I would love to also go uh, more into what you like. What is Web three? I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't know or know like specific stuff, but maybe not the whole picture. What do you do at Dragons Can Fly? Inside that, but before that, I love that you're kind of the living epitome of starting from scratch. While you're (laughs) kind of working on publishing this really exciting book, and I think a lot of us, like me for sure, and a lot of our listeners, and for sure a lot of our previous guests on Looks Like Work, can definitely relate with starting from scratch several times (laughs) or many many times over their careers and over their lives, and I'm wondering because some of our listeners could really relate to your corporate past, some of them could relate to the tech past, some of them could, or or present or, you know, experience in general, kind of some of them could relate to that expat life. I was just like kind of joking to myself while you were speaking that we could maybe even rename this podcast Israeli expat in in New York, (laughs) and some of them could really relate to your entrepreneurial Presence, right, and experience, and I'm wondering. And I am talking from a little bit from knowledge because we have spoke about it. But I've, I would really love to explore it more and to, to hear you elaborate on it. What did you learn about starting from scratch that you didn't know before this year or before this experience? And what have you found that maybe you didn't know that that you
0: knew, but you actually knew it all along? So. um while well, writing the book, what I decided is, so first of the book talks about six steps of starting from scratch and ending the process in a more positive place that, than obviously where you started, but if you wouldn't have gone through all the six steps. And as you're mentioning, you know, I've, I've gone through a lot of reorgs, I've gone through a lot of starting from scratch. But one of the things that, you know, in some cases I came out better at the end and the other less or, you know... In my book, I mention about actually an anxiety attack that I had in, in one of the starting from scratch experiences that I had. So after I submitted the book and I realized that I'm basically starting from scratch, I actually contacted the publisher and pulled it back and said, "I actually need to you you need to start from scratch with the book. <laughs> I need to start from scratch, but actually write the book while not reverse engineering the process, but actually doing it alongside the book and what I've I've. I was extremely particular about was that I don't jump steps. Like the fact that I, these are the steps that I'm doing every single time. Sometimes I shorten one of them. Sometimes I'll jump. No, this time I'll actually so work buy the book to make you sure. You were
1: beta testing your own methodology.
0: I love that. <laughs> and I really think that the fact that I'm in such a good place today is because I was so particular about accomplishing all of the steps one after the other. So what I learned, one, is that those steps are really good. (laughs) They work. Yeah, it works. And you can't, there's no shortcut. It's six steps. You need to do them. And um, the other thing that I learned is because as part of writing a book, it's an extremely, I want to say, fragile, open, it's like therapy on steroids (laughs) to write a book. And while I went through it, one of the things that, you know, a lot of authors do is that they look into, okay, what is my really the first, first, first initial experience that is relevant for the book? And mine was when I was 14. Oh, wow. That's early. And yeah. And I realized in my first job when I was 14, um, I was working as a young journalist in a teen magazine in Israel. I was actually fired. And oh, I, that
1: sucks for a teenager to go through that. Yes. And then... I'm sorry. My son is 15 and I'm like, my, my heart like just goes out
0: to like 14 year old Osnad. <laughs> exactly. So what I noticed is that, you know, I didn't even remember, but what I did notice is that partially I did go, go through those steps without even noticing in order to, you know, spoiler, I did get the job back. Oh, wow. Um, I did, But I did go through these stages even back then. So the learning that I had is that some of us and a lot of the people that I interviewed for the book, I interviewed over 20 people who are featured in the book. um, A lot of us actually have that in our DNA, like the ability to start from scratch in a very methodological way. And we have the same tools and references. But the other thing that you can is actually learn or be very specific about it, and then go through the same thing if you even didn't have the DNA.
1: The amazing thing is that that methodology kind of, you know, stayed relevant for you from the age of 14 and to now not being 14, being in a completely different career life, you know, probably that you couldn't even have imagined then. And in the (laughs) danger of like, you know, Spoiler alerts. Uh, I'm just dying of curiosity to hear a little bit more about the steps. Can you tell us about it without spoiling the book?
0: No, there are three steps that need to happen. And I recommend that you either start now, or this is something that, regardless of starting from scratch, you need to have. And then if you start from scratch, obviously you need to go and kind of, you know, dust them off. So one is a learning mindset. And a learning mindset means that, you know, most of us, Either than, other than you know, first on the job when you're in this, you know, hyper learning mode, most of us are ninety percent, even more, in execution mode. Yeah, we don't stop to learn, we don't stop to check, we just go, go, go. And having a learning mindset means that you do several things on an ongoing basis, like a muscle, which is to read things that are related to your industry and your job, to listen and to subscribe to things, to find your community and people that are relevant oh, to you. Wow,
1: that's so important.
0: And to grow you and to grow your network. And also all the time interview people. Like, you know, what do you think? What did you learn? Who are you going? What are you doing? Stay curious. And, yeah, and exactly. Say, like I wanted to say, not in a stocky way. <laughs> hopefully. But in, but in a way that it educates you. And then hopefully you can also give back, right? Like when I do that, then I share between interviewers. I actually say, oh, and I also spoke to Sarah and Sarah gave me these tips. And then that helps the person who gave me was kind enough to give me their time. Cause usually it's a called Connection—it's not someone that I know. Yeah, um, and so it's something that you give back.
1: I love that because then you're spreading kind of that goodness around. And yeah. if you're looking at it from like a strategic standpoint, you're also cr- creating thought leadership by curating. You don't have you don't you don't have to have invented that tip or that inf- piece of information in order for you know even the fact that you just are active enough to pursue knowledge and to curate it and to pick and choose the relevant parts. And by the way, also to be, you know, that sense of humility that you always have that learning mindset, like you said, even that is so valuable, both to yourself and your career, but also even from a, from a thought leadership standpoint, from like a career ladder standpoint, people really do appreciate it. And of course you learn and grow so much thanks to that.
0: Absolutely. And and some of the things I write in the book is how to do that called contact, how to be helpful back, like how to give back to the person who was kind enough to give the the time to you. And also, you know, many of us get these called contacts. So you need, you know, you probably, as I do, you pick and choose. And and sometimes someone needs to write something and that, you know, and it can be multiple things, but I give in the book examples of people that I actually spent a significant amount of time with because I understood, you know, for example, someone um, listened to me in a podcast and then she wrote things um, that I said and that she disagreed with and she wanted a debate with.
1: I actually, that's It's interesting. It's like kind of a little bit different.
0: Yeah, I loved it. I was like, this is amazing. Versus like someone that says, yeah, yeah, everything's great. Actually to give me feedback and say, this is what I heard. And I disagree. Mm-hmm. And if I'm your audience, then this is my feedback. And I love that, that session. We actually had two more sessions after oh, wow! And it was a called contact. Like, you know, yeah, she definitely got my attention. I even afterwards, I sent her a few uh, job offers from companies that I know that I was like, wow, that was a successful cold
1: email or message or whatever.
0: Absolutely. I also have like other contacts that say, hey, you know, this person that I'm, I'm looking to connect with, can you connect us? And I'm like, really? Yeah. Because, you know, it's not that it's it's not catching me in a good mood to do that. It's just awkward. It's out of context. Exactly. And I don't know how to really help you. Like Other than saying, saying, hey, Joe asked me for an introduction. It's just weird. And I think that re- building relationship and giving back value to someone that gives you their time for free, then I think that that's important. Yeah. I that and it, it
1: requires that. emotional intelligence for sure. But it's also a skill. It's also a learned skill.
0: Exactly. You don't need to have that. You just you know need to be aware and need to have several tools and just Kind of. Yeah. Understand.
1: And by the way, sorry to jump in. That's what I do. I think so many of us have kind of been raised to be helpful, but not to ask questions or ask for help. And I think what you say about learning, that learning mindset, is so valuable because we need to learn that when we're asking, just like this this person who approached you and even gave you like somewhat negative, like a little bit of salty feedback. But when we ask questions and when we ask for help and when we want to create that conversation, first of all, it's a give and take. Everybody does that. It's expected. It's not like weird. As long as you do it kind of in an emotionally intelligent way, it's even appreciated. And second of all, it's really, as you said, it allows you to also give back. And nobody likes, like, actually, it feels awkward when someone is refusing to get help and is only like trying to kind of send you stuff. It it actually feels better even in a professional context when there is that kind of healthy give and take. Can you,
0: do you relate to that? Absolutely. And I think that it's something that I mentioned in like a a later stage so the, so the first stage is learning mindset and and including that and in the third step I actually talk about building a personal board of directors. Oh, I and love that. Oh, wow. That's that's a personal favorite of mine. And building a personal board of directors means that you actually have several people that you consult with, but when you consult with them, you need to give back. You need to stay in touch, you need to do that. So that part of, you know, step 1 when you when you're in a learning mindset, and then you do that, then, you know, it's it's important to give back. So it's actually relevant to both stages, The the stage in the middle is actually building your resilience. And I again, Ooh, share in what way. So both from me, and, and as well as from other people that I interviewed, I share tips on how to build resilience. Resilience means that you're constantly aware that you're able to bounce back. And that means that you know you need to understand that there's a lot of value in other things in your life that are not just work
1: i love that because to me that even more than resilience that is kind of a core kind of a confidence that is core to your being kind of a sense of abundance even
0: yeah and 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 really it's it's something that is key in the in the book i talk about something that's called the spark which is you know a need for change like that one day it just happens. And the spark can be something that is external, like the fact that, you know, there's a reorg or, you know, or you're being let go, or the spark can come from inside when you say, I'm actually done with this. Like, you know, I've exhausted everything I can do here. There's, you know, this glass ceiling, and the next step for me is out of this organization. yeah, and I just like, I'm gonna let go. Yeah. So the resilience comes in here when the spark comes and you are actually saying, Hold on, is this just a bad day? Or is this a time for me to jump? Is
1: this a signal for something bigger than just this day?
0: Exactly. And I really think that being resilient means that not every turmoil at work, because many of those happen, means that you need to jump. It actually means that you are strong enough. And although work is where we spend most of our time. Yeah, we're 360. We're like a full self beyond that. It's something that fills in your day. And it's important for that. And it's part of our identity. Yeah. And hopefully it it helps you with your sense of
1: purpose. But I think especially in our day and age and in our culture, right. Western culture. I I know for me, you know, like I, I shut down my, my startup, but also for friends who have been, you know, not self-employed, but employed like at larger companies, we really tend to kind of equalize our sense of self and our, our, especially our sense of value kind of like begins and ends with work. And maybe if we're a parent, then also that. But those are like the very specific things where like we a lot of times forget that that's not the only, you know, first of all, that we, we have value just from the, if we exist, we have value. We have intrinsic value and second of all that we don't have to justify you
0: know who we are and that we just we are we are more than the sum of our work parts yeah absolutely and I think you know that and resilience can come in many ways and again the book I mentioned stories of not just mine but other people and how they uh, make sure to invest in in that part for them it comes later again in you know once you go through all of it you are exhausted. (laughs) I can imagine. And then I think that that comes like, kind of like, you know, how do you refill these, you know, just refill your cup. Yeah. How do you refill those buckets once, you know, once you're done? Yeah. So I mentioned the three steps. And then the next steps is building the new you. So it's very much like building a role model, like someone that you aspire to be
1: oh almost like reverse engineering like who do I want to be or who do I think I would look up to and then okay now let's build her or him or exactly. them <laughs> exactly and I it's, love that.
0: It's, it's exactly that and a little secret is that the book originally wasn't called starting from scratch I think it was something like the guide to manage your career like a product manager and it was all about that role model and she's um, the product yeah and she's the product exactly and then you how do you build her And then I was actually, you know, while I was writing it, I was like, okay, there's so much preparation. (laughs) You're reminding
1: me of this uh, movie that I haven't seen. I've been meaning to to watch for a while with Beanie Feldstein. It's called How to Build a Girl. I I, I have to look it up again. Uh, But I just, I love Beanie Feldstein. And just the name of the book really caught me. And I I love that about it.
0: Yeah. And actually, there's so many books that the people I interviewed for the book, people were like, oh, what I just said. You know reminds me of another book, of another book. <laughs> I love that. Even thinking now, you know, there's actually a post I need to do about recommended books for starting from scratch. But anyway, the role model means that it's something that is not you today.: Absolutely not. And it could be far uh, from who you are. actually, one of the person I interv- one of the people I interviewed for the book, she actually it took her two years to be her own role model.
1: You know what? It doesn't sound like, you know, it's a long time, but think about being your own role model. It's huge. It's like, I think that a lot of people would think that they wouldn't be able to do it in their lifetime. So two years, that's like amazing.
0: But on the the other hand, you know, once you're kind of done, like once you have that spark to have that resilience (laughs) to stay within the the existing job until you feel ready uh, to jump ship is really, you know, what was amazing in in Maria's story. That's her name. And so what I liked about the role model is that what you do is you uh, break down who that person is, what they know, who they are, who they meet, what are their hobbies, everything. It's like really building like a doll
1: yeah it's kind of like writing like a character almost for for a book or for a movie that's how it sounds like who's like what's the world of this character
0: yeah who yeah who do they hang hang out with how do they feel that's so powerful and yeah and then you break it down you mark where which things you have (laughs) And then you go back to that learning mindset and you start closing the gaps. And, you know, I mentioned someone that it took them uh, two years. I know people that it took them three months, but it is important to actually admit where you are. And I will always say that, you know, when you apply to a job, you need to fill in about 70% of, of what it is because you still need, like, you can't have that when you go to a new job, you actually say, oh yeah, I've been there, done that, everything.
1: It's so interesting because, like, just thinking, like, I'm kind of internalizing what you're saying because this, like, that this role model thing is really, like, kind of, I have goosebumps from it. And I think, like, I don't know, I'm, like, really thinking out loud because I'm just, like, kind of, um, wow, I really love it. But I think the interesting thing or one of the interesting things here is that it requires on the one side so much humility. And on the other hand, it also requires confidence or even or maybe a better word to say would be faith in yourself right humility would be because you want to really be very honest with yourself
0: of what you know and you don't
1: yeah and then faith in yourself that you could get there right and then maybe also both the humility and the faith in, faith in yourself, exactly what you said about applying to the job when you have only 70% of the qualifications, which is something that so many people and especially kind of underrepresented people and people with like a more suppressive kind of upbringing struggle with. And there's so much imposter syndrome in that. Mm-hmm. And having that faith and having that sense of like can-do attitude, what you call resilience is so key in this. It's, it's so important.
0: Yeah, so it's funny that you mentioned imposter syndrome because, and there's another thing that was mentioned is someone else on in my book. So on imposter syndrome, what I learned through this interview process is that imposter syndrome is not something you overcome.
1: Mm, interesting. What
0: for me, was oh wow, <laughs> um, and I all of a sudden noticed that I that's have-
1: disappointing. <laughs>
0: exactly right you're like okay, can i work on this disappearing from my life and it's not it's you have in that moment imposter syndrome and then you overcome it and then everything's okay and then the next challenge comes and then you feel it again and then the next challenge comes and you feel it again and you overcome and and it just grows and in a different interview that i i did that is related to that is that you always think that the next step is hard but once you do it you're like oh it's okay. And then it plateaus and then you yeah. go to the next step. And then again, it's hard. So it's, you never know kind of what will be the next one, yeah. but it's really important to know that you will feel uncomfortable. But it's good. Sometimes.
1: It's good to also expect, yes, it's, it's a bummer that it never goes away, but it's good to expect that it never goes away because that way you're not kind of uh disappointed or you're not anxious by it. Oh, wow. Like this again.
0: What's wrong with me? Yeah. Right?
1: And wow. I can share with you something. Oh, I love your dog. I, I really wish our listeners could could see her. Her Osnat um, has a Hebrew speaking dog. <laughs> yes, very very sweet uh, and very small. So I'll share something pretty uh, personal with you. So when I was in high school, and I, I'm constantly thinking about it because my son is <laughs> exactly the same age, and you know how it is. You're kind of oh, where was I at that age? What was helpful to me? <laughs> I had. An amazing, amazing teacher. So I was like, exactly like my son, uh, hated hypocrisy, was a justice warrior and uh, very much a typical teenager in many, many ways. But I had this one teacher who really saw me and it's such a present, I think, for teenagers. But also people, by the way, people going through a growth spirit, whether it's mental, spiritual, career growth spirit, which is exactly what we're talking about. And I was like, kind of, listen, I'm sick of dealing with this thing all the time. I don't even remember what we spoke about. Like, why? How is it that I do so much work on myself? And then some time passes and I think I've overgrown it. And then it still comes back. And she said something so smart to me, which I still kind of go back to all the time, which is very much like what you said. She said, you have to think about it not as something linear but as a spiral and hopefully it's a upward spiral not a downward spiral so you'll always get go back and of course i'm like madly gesticulating with my hands now our listeners can't see but you're you're always going to go back come back to the same point in the circle hopefully it's just one floor up so Next time you do have more confidence because you know that you've already dealt with it. So you do have that sense of, you know, can-do attitude, resilience, just confidence of, hey, like it's not the end of the world. I can get over it. I can actually grow past this point. But you're still going <laughs> to, you're still a you. You still have your personality, even if you're already your role model probably
0: yeah absolutely. And you know when an imposter syndrome came up in many of the interviews I did for the book, and that's why I met Phyllis, who wrote the book from Fraud to Freedom, which is about imposter syndrome, and oh, wow, um,
1: I'm gonna check it out where you're gonna put this in the show notes,
0: yeah, you should and then she actually was the one that put that insight in my head that it's just it's normal. It's something, and, and specifically starting from scratch every time will kick in your imposter syndrome.
1: Wow. So talking about sharing something personal, I hope you won't mind. What were <laughs> you, who, who was your role model that you wanted to
0: become? So in every job I have something else, it doesn't, it's not a specific, per, it, well, sometimes it could have been, but it's not necessarily a specific person. Right. Um, but they do have a specific trait, like specific traits or specific habits or specific knowledge or access or a network or whatever it will be or all the above. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's someone. So I don't know if it was um, if I had like a person to go after, maybe like a mix, mixed breed mm-hmm. of people that I've met or at least, you know, I listed the traits that they would have, who would they they would hang with who would they know who can they feel comfortable consulting with so that's on the people side and then on the knowledge what would they know and also on a personal level what would be a new habit or a new thing that they will be able to do that I don't have today and I want to know and close that gap yeah
1: maybe how like just thinking out loud maybe how will how will their day look like how will like a typical day look
0: yes and it's one of actually it's funny um you could have wrote the book. Sure. <laughs> you, you, wrote you can
1: still add me as a co author
0: <laughs> <laughs> So in the book, there are guiding questions for building that role model. And one of them is how do they day? I love how that. Great minds. Yeah. Oh, like okay. how, do they, how do they wake up? And so that what one of the things, you know, I came to understand from the book is that many of us have this. We know it. We know how to start from scratch. Yeah,
1: maybe it's, it's somewhere, it's like buried underneath yeah. a lot of layers, though. Yeah. And can
0: we call it out? Mm. Work by it. It requires it. a lot
1: of courage, doesn't it?
0: Yes, but it's a necessity. To yeah, say no, for fun.
1: sure. But it's like, I it's, don't not know a, it's not a small thing to, to do that, to call that out.
0: Yeah. But it's really, I don't know anybody who didn't need to start from scratch.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's like a almost a myth now like especially in our day and age covid just like 2000s since the 2000s it's not like you can have like a linear life and and really like could never really have a linear life because you had to start from scratch in some way or another whether it was within something that you've already done or whether it's like overtly clear that it's starting from scratch, right? Yeah.
0: For sure.
1: So I want to ask you something that's that, that that I've been dealing with, and I'm kind of it's been on my thoughts. So I've started from scratch many many times. I started as a translator. So my first job, I was a secretary at the Diamond Exchange. Then I was a translator for like TV subtitles <laughs> and for books. It was really really fun. Then I was a design blogger. Then I had like a marketing agency for lifestyle, so design, fashion, etc. Then I like took a wild left turn and started a startup in the future of workspace. And now I have my like tech marketing agency. And most of the times when I started from scratch, I started it out of a sense of curiosity of just like I was a blogger. And then I thought, oh, what if this, uh magazine that I love that's only fashion right now, what if they have, what if they start like a design section and I just like sent a Facebook message, you know, 2010, uh, 2009, to the editor. Or then, after like working on, like being a journalist and a blogger and meeting a lot of designers, like saying, Hey, these brands are like now online and they have no idea what was before like Facebook ads and all that. How to talk to people online? What if I d- <laughs> start an agency? Or like with my startup, hey, I think like people are really needing more ways to learn and grow inside organizations. And I think mentorship is a great way to do that. Speaking about your board of director idea, I love that. That was like kind of my catchphrase throughout my startup. Mm -hmm. What if we use technology to kind of make that more scalable? But then, you know, knowing how to start from scratch, from curiosity, from abundance, from that, all that and then covid came but for a lot of people it's like doesn't have to be necessarily covid it could be a cha- you know a change in their family status a change in their financial you know situation and then I found myself having to start from scratch, not out of fun, but out of necessity, out of almost like a scarcity, you know, mindset, which is something very foreign to me. Like if there's one thing that I applaud my, my parents for, like among many other things, is like really kind of raising us with a sense of abundance, and that was so different because when you kind of find yourself at loss, and you kind of like were locked out of the life or the career that you built for yourself and now like like a reorg it's happened to you it's not something that you actively pursued then you kind of have to maybe maybe i'm a little bit impacted because i just came from a panel that was really interesting about loss but you're kind of still grieving your previous career or your previous start then that then grew but then you also need to start something from scratch do you have any thoughts about that absolutely So I love, I love the, I love the certainty. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Because the final step, like the last step, which we skipped a few, but the last step does talk about packing any baggage. Mm. What I noticed in one of the organizations that I I stayed over several reorgs, I was actually what is called in these kind of layoffs is called a survivor. Oh, wow. And yeah. And it actually has like a whole language that I, I speaking of resilience. Yeah. So so the, the people who actually stay behind, in addition to obviously the people who are laid off, are exposed to something that is called PTLD. Oh, what's which, that? So it stands for P- post-traumatic layoff disorder. <laughs> I love that. And it's actually a thing. And I didn't know it's a thing, but I started noticing that actually people that have stayed behind, all of a sudden they were like busy like doing some like busy work or what they were doing is talking all day versus like able to execute. And they were literally paralyzed by the fact that their peers, their friends left. And this to me was, you know, was so insightful to actually know, okay, this can actually happen if you have the good side of the story, which, you know, say but you're still get this scar. And so whatever it is, whatever change you're going through, something that needs to happen is to pack that baggage. Mm. Say, okay, this is what I learned. This is where I was at the beginning and where I am now. And this is why I'm better today, regardless of what happened. But you went through several experiences and you got exposure to People, new ideas, new products, new—it ch-
1: changed you in some way or the other, even if you're in the same place, right?
0: Exactly, and that change made you better for the next side. Yeah,
1: I think it's so—it's so true what you're saying that it's so easy to kind of overlook the fact that you were changed because, hey, like I'm in the same place, I'm in the same role, maybe, maybe even making the same salary. So, so it's not—it's not. It's not easily visible. And then acknowledging it requires a lot of awareness and kind of reflection.
0: Yeah. And also, you know, even in in cases where, you know, I didn't, I wasn't part of a reorg or I wasn't part of being let go from an organization because of a reorg. Even when I chose to leave, I never rushed in my mind, Mm -hmm. I never rushed to actually start a new job before I said, hold on, that is, what is it, that is so
1: important. Like giving yourself time is something that a lot of times you're also like you don't want to do this because it's because it's like easier to not give yourself time, right?
0: Yeah, it's like oh yeah, I got the next job. You know what do I need to do? <laughs> um, and again, go into this execution mode. So no, it's like stop for a second and first of all, you know, be grateful right. for whatever came your way. You met new people, you had new experiences you learned, you know, new things or you experienced bad things that next time you're going to be more aware. Right. Notice them, you know, ahead of time to avoid them. Like you go through something and while you will need to mention it in the interview in the next and next and next job of like, oh, this is what I learned from this experience and this is why I can actually, you know, you mentioned your career path it's very eclectic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, and I'm sure that once we dig into that then we will understand like one thread between them or things that you took from one For job sure. to the other that made you comfortable to do that change that seems very unrelated but of course that it is and like you built one experience in one job that you took to the next one and that's why you felt comfortable to doing such a big radical change so that packing is really important and in my book I do mention several stories of people who didn't do that packing mm-hmm. and what is what is their job experience because they didn't do that
1: That's so interesting. Okay, so we're talking about a uh, product. We're speaking to us not version 10 yeah. 15, we don't know. So, I would really love to hear more about dragons can fly and Agatha and how the, how does that align with the values and the things that you were looking to really acquire this time around.
0: Yeah. So, what I did know is that my next job I wanted it to be in web three mm-hmm. uh, being i when I was at Verizon, one of the amazing experiences I had is the opportunity to work with like new technologies and I worked with augmented reality and virtual reality and bots and 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 it was an amazing experience where I worked in a in a lab doing a lot of research and development. And then, due to a reorg, <laughs> uh, surprise, <I> only, surprise, <laughs> surprise, surprise, I only did it for a year. And I felt a missed opportunity that I wanted to continue that to be extremely early in the game, mm. to be involved in a technology that is growing and to affect it or to understand how it will affect me.
1: That is so powerful because it's like really
0: being there before it's like completely mainstream. Exactly. And and by the way, packing that reorg for me was, okay, what did I learn? So I learned that I can jump into new technologies very, very quickly without a lot of information beforehand, that I know how to learn and research something new. Like I know what I know to do. What did I also learn? That I missed it, mm-hmm. that I didn't complete it, that I want more of it. And that next time, if I'll have that opportunity, I'll do it again. And so that. So, for me to go into Web3, it was like a no brainer. It's like as the, soon as I started hearing of projects and I started understanding what are the technologies that I can be involved in in this round, I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And at the beginning, I wasn't sure if I'm going to work for, try to apply for a company that this is what they do, or I'm going to do it on my own. And as I do in many of the things, as I go back into a learning mindset and I started learning, meeting people, you know, interviewing people and going to events and looking for my community. And this time I did it with the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was extremely uh, particular of what I'm doing in order to grow my knowledge. And then all of a sudden I met my first client.
1: That's amazing.
0: And then I was like, oh my God, like I can actually do it on my own. I did contact um, someone that we used to work together. We actually met 10 years ago, first time. And we worked together in the past 10 years in various projects. She's an art director and she has her own agency, a design agency. And I worked with her in many of the companies I worked in the past 10 years. as She worked for me as a freelancer. And then I contacted her because she's on my personal board of directors. And I told her, hey, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is what I want to do. What do you think? And she was like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. I want in. (laughs) Um, And she's like, no, I was also thinking about it and researching and learning and then we were comparing notes and, and, and then we said, how about, you know, we start this together. Amazing. And then we started from scratch together and compared learning notes and built our resilience and on bad days, you know, I was reminding her and she was reminding me what to do. And I think that what I learned also is that even a company has a starting from scratch methodology. For sure. Um, And that's, you know, where it is. Specifically, Agatha is a project that we launched because as part of our learning uh, way. And it's an NFT project, which we're extremely proud of what it represents. It represents the evolution of personality and experience and gives a lot of respect to experience and inspires others to have an open conversation about their experiences so that others can feel inspired and grow. And have role models. So, although it's not a, I want to say like a an NFT project as I work for my customers to do, and you know we we push it in the same way. It's something that is you know a, a place for us to both learn as well as kind of play in the same game. So
1: awesome! And I love that playfulness and curiosity. And we're for sure gonna link it in the show notes. It's not, I feel like we could have. Continued this conversation for hours and hours. I really appreciate you coming on to Looks Like Work and sharing your knowledge and your experience. Where can people kind of pre order or, or sign up to hear more about your book when it comes out?
0: Yeah. So I'd love if people connect with me on LinkedIn. And then also, I really
1: recommend that. I love your posts.
0: Oh, thank you. And then next thing is my website, which is Starting startingfromscratchthebook.com. To know everything about the book and stay in touch with me and see a lot of what I'm going to do.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Asnat. Have a great rest of your day. And hopefully this is just the first of many conversations. Good luck with the book and with everything that you do.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Thank you for listening to Looks Like Work. You can find resources, links, and of course the episode's show notes at roomsandwords.com. That's rooms, like a room, and words, and like an end.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, I really, really hope that you'll like my newsletter too. My newsletter is something that I send out every week, and I share thoughts, links, Books and just other things that I find thought provoking, interesting, somehow contributing to these conversations that we're having here, or sometimes just joyously distracting. Again, the newsletter is sent out every week, and you can find the link to sign up on my website at roomsandwords.com. And I really hope to see you there, and of course, to see you here next
0: week. Have a good one!